Brian's getting ready to share some scripture with you, and I just need to give you a little bit of context, because when you're going to hear this passage, you're going to go, this is just really different. Um, the scripture theme that we have for the capital campaign is about uh, the fig tree that Jesus goes to and uses as a symbol and teaching lesson for the disciples by saying, you see the, the leaves on the tree, when the leaves come out, it's a sign and symbol of what's coming next. And that's the fig tree we're talking about in the overall capital campaign. But Jesus has another interesting encounter with the fig tree, and that's what we're talking about today. You need to understand that in this story, uh, where we find it in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus has just uh, finished the Palm Sunday parade. So festivity, yes, but Jesus is clearly aware of the fact this parade is ushering him straight to his death. He knows he's coming out of that and going right into a time of being betrayed and tortured, ultimately killed. And so the most horrific things are waiting in front of him as we enter into this scripture. I want you to keep that in mind as you hear Brian now share it to us from the Gospel of Mark. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Loving God, we ask you to bless now the stirring of our own hearts and minds that they might mingle with your Holy Spirit. But together, the encounter with you... Yes, changes us, but also allows us to be so blessed that we can become those who help change the world for your sake. Humble us, open us up, stir through us, and do your work. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. When I was a young pastor, like many young clergy, I was invited to go spend a week at camp in one of the camping programs of our United Methodist Church, and, and so I did, and for several couple years I was a camp counselor working with elementary kids for a week, and then eventually got asked to become a dean of the camp, and so I would run a camp, uh, recruit counselors, and, and be there for a week with also uh, elementary school kids. During that time, though, there was something stirring within me, and I began to think that perhaps it was time to offer another unique kind of camp that we did not offer in our system. And I met Nancy Wojcik, who had a similar dream, and uh, we came together and collaborated and prayed together, and, and were led to create a camp called Adventure Camp for Trainable Mentally Impaired Adults. Uh, it was a camp, week-long camp experience. Um, we did all of the work to lay the foundation for that, to give the counselors, to give them that very special, unique training you need 
for that population. And so we had trainable, trainable mentally impaired adults coming to our camp from the ages of 18. Our oldest camper was 87. So, you know, you got a range to work with. And uh, so we, we did that camp, and, and I was privileged to lead that camp for 12 years. Nancy's life was taken too, from us too soon, and, and uh, we didn't get to finish that work together, but she was a part, very much a part of the starting of that program. And I tell you that because the other day I was talking with a colleague of mine, a friend of mine who had been a counselor in that camp, and she was telling a story, and, and the, the stories that come out of that camp, those 12 years, just could go on and on and on and on. And I have pictures from that camp still in my drawer that I pull out every once in a while and look at and just remember the campers and the counselors and the stories that came out of that. Well, my friend was telling me, she's reminding me of the story of Aaliyah. And Aaliyah, I'm going to guess she was somewhere in her th- mid-30s, late-30s, something like that. And she was, she was an extremely excitable woman. She, she did not have great social interaction skills. She was not able to really connect well with the people around her. She was very, very hyper. And she talked a lot, 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 and talked a lot, and talked a lot, 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 and talked a lot, and talked a lot, and talked a lot. And and she she was really, as I think back on her, she seems to me to be like the kind of person who kept looking for peace but could never find it. Just very, very hyper, and and um, and so we went into camp that week, and and uh, because Aaliyah was that hyper, a lot of times she would have a counselor directly working with her. And one one early in the week, one night we were at the, or they were around the campfire. I wasn't there. I was told this by my counselor friend. Um, they were having their devotions around the campfire, and the other counselor was doing the devotion. And Aaliyah was just, just very confused about what was going on and agitated about what was going on and couldn't be quiet enough or sit so long enough that she was distracting everybody. So my counselor friend and her took a walk and went off for a little bit so they could get through the devotions. And that was okay. But even though they were off a distance, Aaliyah was watching very carefully what was going because she couldn't figure out what was going on. Did not, oh, what's going on? What's, I don't know what's going on. I what's going on. And my, the other counselor began offering the prayer for the devotion. And this very much intrigued and confused Aaliyah. And she said, what's he doing? 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 Well, he's, he's, he's praying. Well, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What is that? What is that? What is that? What is that? Well, it's, he's talking to God. Teach me, teach me, teach me, teach, teach me to pray, teach me to pray, teach me to pray, teach me to pray. Please, please, teach me to pray. And on she went. And during the week, we were focused on the Lord's Prayer, and each day we had activities and craft items and things around um, those themes. And Aaliyah went through the week, and the group went through the week, and it was a great week. But at the end of the week, we always gathered in the parade field, and this was just before all the campers were going back to where they had come from. A lot of them came from group homes. A few went back to a home, you know, with family. Not that many, actually. And uh, we're standing in this big circle, and I was, you know, doing the rah-rah, singing camp songs, all that. It was time for the prayer, so I started to pray. As I'm giving the sending forth prayer, Aaliyah began practicing what she'd been taught. She didn't listen to my prayer. Which actually, quite frankly, let me just remind you, when we're up here praying, we don't expect you to listen to everything we're saying. And if it helps you, that's cool, that's great. But if in prayer time, while we're praying, you get led by the Holy Spirit to pray something else, go there. 
Well, on that morning, Aaliyah began praying her own prayer. And she started saying out loud, quickly, over and over again, I'm a, Lord, Lord, I want to live with my mama. I want to live with my mama. I want to go home with my mama. I want to live with my mama. I want to live with my mama. I want to live, Lord, I want to live with my mama. Lord, I want to live with my mama. I want, I want to live with my mama. I want to live with my mama. And on it went. And we knew that Aaliyah wasn't going to go home to her mama. We knew that was never going to happen. That had been decided long years before. But she still wanted to go home to live with her mama. And she's standing in a circle praying, which she said she didn't know how to do four days ago. But she's praying a prayer that we know she will never get answered the way she wants it. So did we help her? In this story, it seems pretty odd in some ways. Jesus acts very un-Jesus-like. He goes along, he's, he's walking along, and he goes up to a fig tree to find figs in it because he's hungry, but there are any figs in it. It's not the season for figs. It'd be like me going out right now, being hungry, saying, I wonder if there's an apple in this apple tree. There's not going to be any. But Jesus, knowing that, still curses at this fig tree that it would never grow a fig. That doesn't feel like Jesus to me. And I am really uncomfortable with this passage. And I have to remember that Jesus is both human and divine. And we say that theologically, but in our head, it's hard to get my head around So the only way I could figure it out this way, and maybe this will resonate with you, have you ever kicked the dog when you got home? Now, maybe not literally, because we all love animals. I get what I'm saying, okay? So instead, you snapped at the kids or the spouse or someone else that didn't deserve it. Anybody ever done that? Okay, you're such good Methodists. Bunch of liars. Anyway... You know you have, right? You know that you've gone home or you've been pet and you just ah, took out whatever on something that was completely inanimate and innocent. Anybody ever done that? Show you can confess. Come on. All right, I'll get it out of you. Anybody sitting near you ever done it to you? Go ahead and tell us that. Say, well, no. Yes, we know. Of course it happens. This is such a human experience. And this is what's happening to Jesus. This is how I can get my head around. The only way I can work through it is that Jesus was having the really bad, super bad day. And then they go off, and then they come back. And when they come back, they pass this fig tree again. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, check out the tree you cursed at. I mean, it's literally dying at the root now. I mean, you have put it down. And Jesus... This is where my biblical thought goes, and if you don't agree, it's cool, but Jesus is struggling with this because he knows, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. (laughs) You know, I probably shouldn't have kicked the dog, hollered at the wife, slammed the door, whatever. I probably shouldn't have. But instead of just, you know, giving some weak excuse, what's the first thing he says? He says this. He says, have faith in God. Okay, listen. Yeah, I had a bad moment. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I shouldn't do the things that I do sometimes. But listen to me. I'm not even going to try to waste my time excusing myself because I know that was wrong. I'm going to ask you first and foremost, have faith in God. 
Have faith in the one that is constant. Have faith in the one who doesn't lose perspective. Have faith in the one who will continue to work through you and be to you as God will always be. Have faith in God. And if you have faith in God, who is faithful, who is consistent, who isn't going to have a bad day and rip you, here's what's going to happen. If you have faith in that God, then you will be able to say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. If you ask for it, without doubt, it will be done for you. There's a power in prayer. There's a power when we pray that is released. And the reality is, is that we think in prayer we are the ones who get to release it. And that we are the ones who get to control it. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying there's a power in prayer. And if you ask for that mountain to be cast into the sea, you're releasing a power. But, one, you can't have any doubt. And I've only been doing this for 63 years. And I'm still getting to the place where I can sometimes have a lot of confidence, but I can never get where I don't have some doubt. I'm just, I'm just talking here, okay? The reality is, if I am believing in God and I believe in prayer, there's a power released. It's this next thing he says that really spoke to me, that really convicted me. He says this, whenever you are standing praying, forgive. So if I'm standing and praying for whatever I'm praying for, I'm immediately supposed to incarnate, become, act in the way in which God wants me to act. So I can't sit here in my gloom or sanctimony and sit around and say, well, God, you need to go do this and that and the other. As I pray, I need to become the kind of being that God wants, which is to forgive. So the first power of prayer is what it does on me, how it works in me. And then it also releases out into the world. Prayer is powerful. And when we engage in prayer, we submit ourselves to the Lord to be able to receive what we didn't even know we needed to ask for. And as we receive that, we are able to engage in that which we didn't even know to pray for. Did we set Aaliyah up for failure? Well, the more I thought about that, I realized Aaliyah was praying her truth. Down in the core of her being, she will always want to go home and live with her mama. That's her truth. But the power of prayer that day wasn't found in the fact that God somehow was going to change that, because that didn't change. The power of prayer is the fact that that camp would not have existed without the power of prayer for people who came together decades before to build that camp. And that particular week of camp would not have happened if Nancy and I hadn't started praying and trying to figure out how God wanted us to get this done. And if prayer hadn't been happening, Aaliyah wouldn't have ever been taught how to pray. And if Aaliyah was standing to pray her deepest truth, she was at least standing in the middle of a prayed field she never would have been in by other people who love her enough to care for her even as she prayed her truth. See, prayer was at work that day. Prayer is a power that is released, that you and I do not control. We submit ourselves to entering into it. And yes... 
We pray hard for the things that we actually believe in and care about, and we should and we must, because that gets us in line with the Holy Spirit to go and be and do so that God can be revealed in this very thing we care so much about. It is not about, I need to pray really hard because God's really needing my help here for me to tell God what to do. It is rather for me to finally get to the place where God is going to sweep through me and let me have the impact in the world that I can have only by the power of God. So today you received these hearts, and on it are names of people, and you may or may not know the names of the people on your heart. And Christine just made a simple request, hey, why don't you pray for these people? Well, what are you supposed to pray for? Well, what Christine said, for their joy, for their joy and hope and Holy Spirit, right? Do you know what God's going to do in their life? That's not the point. The point is, is that every one of us now has somebody who this month, in the season of Lent, is going to be praying for us. And it isn't that they have to know exactly what we think we need. It is that they are helping to surrender us to the power of prayer. They are creating in this community of faith a reminder that, in fact, prayer is how we live and thrive. And as I pray for the names on this heart, as I got it a couple days ago, it has already connected me to at least every day to be thinking about them and thinking about them in a particular way. And that is powerful. Man, if all you know what to do on any given day is to look down at your heart and say, Lord, I just hope you help bless these people. Then their name has been given up to the glory of God by somebody else in the world, and there's power in that. We pray for things and and we think we know what we're praying for and maybe we do in the sense that we know where it's going to take us and we know how we want it to happen and some of that happens. But I'm going to tell you this, every prayer that I've ever prayed, I did not have full capacity to understand what it was going to release. I mean, I was just getting started. A few years ago, a number of years ago, we started praying in this church. You guys started praying decades ago. Two years before I got here, Dr. Bilcock went to the leadership and said, y'all, I'm not going to stay forever, and uh, in a couple years they're going to send you some Yahoo. You better start getting ready. <laughs> I'm sure that's the way Doug said it. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, he began working with the leadership, and they began praying, uh, you know. Anyway, I'm sorry, you still got me. But either way, the point is, it was founded in prayer, and we, we came together in prayer, and we've been living together for a long time in prayer. And about eight years ago, we began praying, saying, Lord, we know that we have to get ready not for the next few years, but for the next few decades. We've got to be ready to serve people. We've got to be able to do things that we've never been able to do before. And that prayer led us to all the work you know. You've heard all the history. We, we went through the drawings. We went through the building planning. We went through the capital campaign that you were successful in. And you built what you have all around you. And it was because of the power of prayer. And I'm going to tell you this right now. What we ended up with is not what we thought we were going to have. But what we ended up with is exactly what God needed us to have. Isn't that funny and interesting? So now we're in this next capital campaign. And I'm asking you, we're asking you to contribute to it again so we can pay this off. Because we want to make the church nimble to be responsive to the movement of the Holy Spirit for years to come. We don't want it to pay debt for the next 25 years. We want to do Jesus' work for the next 25 years. We're going to pay off this debt and move on. Amen? That's what we're trying to do. We need your help to do it. But I want to tell you, in the context of all that, we prayed for things that we didn't know were going to happen. 
About five, six weeks ago, I was at the house and uh, got a phone call from Chuck, our evening custodian, and Chuck said, hey, um, there's a kid who came in, needs to talk to somebody. So I said, yeah, I'll come, I'm coming right over. So I came over, and uh, Chuck was playing basketball with this kid in the gym, waiting for me. And uh, so we met, and this kid came up to me, shook, shook my hand, introduced himself, and uh, I said, hi, I'm Pastor Rick. I said, you want to sit over here on the bleachers and talk a little bit? You want to go up to my office? He said, no, let's go up to your office. Okay. He went up to my office, sat down. I said, you know, what's up? How can I help you? What's going on? He said, I need help with impulse control. Okay. So we talked a little bit, and this kid knew himself. He's been having a life's journey of trying to figure out how to do impulse control. And I know this kid, and I know kids like this kid. There have been days in which he's probably been the one causing the ruckus in the classroom. And also he's the one who sometimes, because of his struggles, sometimes is the, the butt of the joke. And on this particular day, he had had a really lousy, crappy, terrible day. And he had come home, and he said to his dad, I want to go down to that church. His family doesn't go to church. His family doesn't come to this church. Dad said, how come you want to go to that church? I want to go to that church. I just need to go to that church. So dad, to his credit, brought him down here. And he found Chuck and so on. Okay, so you're here. Um, impulse control. You know, what am I going to do with this? So I default to what I know. And, you know, I'm seriously, I'm not kidding. I mean, I spent my life doing it, so it's not bragging. I should be by now. I know my Wesley history pretty well. I know my Methodism pretty well, but I don't know all of it. And Pastor Howe, whom I love more than I could ever begin to tell you, and who knows more than me on this, introduced me to this, this chaplet. It's a, it's a, if you will, and, and Hal, don't correct me in front of everybody, but <laughs> so my words are, it's a Methodist prayer bead, okay? That's how I'm calling it. And so it's, it's really simple. It's just a strain. It's tied like this, and it's got 10 knots on it, all right? And the idea is there's a whole process you use to begin praying the first knot, the second knot, and so on. So I happened to have my chaplet next to me. It was mine that I've used. So I turn around, I grab it, and I say to this kid, listen, this is a chaplet. And I gave him sort of the quickly kind of conversation I just had with you, and I said, listen to me, if you were at the beginning of every hour of your school day to pray a prayer, what would you pray for so that you would get through the day better? And this kid took some time to think about it. I mean, he wasn't just flippant. He was serious about this work. He thought about it for a few minutes. He turned to me and he said, I would pray every hour that for the next hour, I would say and do the kinds of things that would make my grandma proud of me. I would say and do things for the next hour that would make my grandma proud of me. I said to him, that's one of the best prayers I've ever heard. This is my chaplet, I said, I'm giving it to you. I want you to take mine, and I want you to have it. And I want you tomorrow, when you go to school, I want you to grab that first knot as you walk into school, and I want you to pray that you're going to act in a way that Grandma's going to be proud of you in the next hour, in the next hour, in the next hour, in the next hour. He said he would. Gave me a hug. We walked back down, and, and they'd come on a Monday, and so seeing the city council now meets in our building, uh, they were in session, and Dad had gone to sit in there while I was talking with the son. He sees us walk by, 
kid goes in the gym to finish shooting baskets. Dad comes out. He says to me, after I talked to him a little bit, I didn't give him all the details because so that wouldn't have been appropriate, but we talked a little bit about what happened. And Dad looked at me and he said, you know, we don't go to this church. We don't really go to any church, he said. So when my son said he wanted to come down here to the church tonight, it sort of, I didn't know what was, that was about. He said, but I'm going to tell you this. When we walked into the building tonight, I watched the pain and stress fall off my son's face and shoulders. He said, I'm going to tell you, as someone who lives in the community, been watching what you're doing, he said, but now today in my bones, I understand why you're doing it. About three to four weeks later, I'm sitting in the union having a late supper. And come from behind me is this kid. He comes up to me, says hi, gives me a hug. I say, how's it going? He pulls out the chaplet. I've had the best several weeks since I've been using this. I'm glad. It happened, oh, by the way, they were there celebrating their grandmother's birthday. I forgot to tell the 9 o'clock crowd that. So I got to go over and I got to say hi to the dad, who, and then I said hi to grandma. I didn't tell her anything, I just was glad to meet her. When we began praying for this, I didn't have that kid in mind at all. Didn't know him. But we all had that kid in mind. We all knew that we were creating space because there were people who needed a space where they could be safe, where they could come into, and where the pain and the fear and the stress could roll off them, where they could find a place where they could pray where they could worship, where they could be welcomed when they come into the community, and maybe most of all, that they could live the next day in a way that would make their grandmother proud of them. This Lent, we're walking to the cross. We're going through the cross to resurrection. Now, you've got to go through the cross to get there. I'm sorry, I can't change that. That's a Jesus thing. But we know where this ends up. It ends up with new life. It ends up with hope. It ends up with resurrection power. So I'm asking you to take this Lenten walk together. And yeah, I'm asking you to once again support this capital campaign to complete the prayers. No, that's not right. We're not completing prayers to continue the prayer. Keep praying and releasing what you do not have control over. Thanks be to God.